Well, hi, everyone. This is Lori LeBay with Alzheimer's Speaks, and uh, welcome to the radio show today. Um, before we get started uh, with our guest, I always like to give people a little introduction to who we are and why we're here. And bottom line, my mom lived with dementia for 30 years, and for me, that was life-changing, and I just felt a need to connect people and to hear everybody's voice um, from those living with dementia to those caring for them, researchers, um, you name it, advocates, um, it doesn't really make any difference. We need to share our experience in our stories. And so that's that's what we're doing here. Um, we're going to hang out and have a great conversation. And um, we believe that by kind of joining forces and just having these everyday conversations that we're going to be able to shift um, how people view dementia and hopefully get rid of a lot of the stigmas that are attached to memory loss and help people really continue to live with purpose. And together, um, I think, is really the best way to do that. At our core, we believe that collaboratively is really the only way we're going to get rid of this disease and, and win this battle. And so I want to thank you for your likes, your shares, your clicks with not only our radio program, but our resource directory, our blog, our YouTube channel, our website. Um, because of you, we were named the number one influencer online for Alzheimer's by ShareCare and Dr. Oz, and, and we by no means did that alone. Um, that was because of you believing in the material that we push out and the content. And I want you to understand the power that you have as an individual to help share information and knowledge because all of us have a sphere of influence. And many people we know, but especially with social media, there's a lot of people we're connected to that we're really not connected to, and we don't really know their stories. And the more information we can push out regarding dementia and caregiving, the easier it's going to be for somebody to grab a hold of it when the time is right for them. Like anything else, you can't force somebody um, to grab a hold of knowledge. And um, so, again, I just really want to thank all of our listeners for being such great advocates for us here at Alzheimer's Speaks. I also want to mention that, you know, maybe you could be our next guest. Um, we're always looking to talk to people, to hear their stories, their ideas, um, their thoughts, their life experiences. So, you know, go to alzheimerspeaks.com and just click on the contact button, shoot me an email. I would love to hear what your thoughts are and um, see if we can do a show um, and include you in our in our archives so that more and more people will <clears throat> will be able to have their voices raised. I also want to give a shout out to um, the Call Alert Center, which I just think so highly of. It's a very inexpensive way if you have a person that you are caring for and you're worried worried about wandering. And we never know if someone's going to wander or not until it's too late. But for, you know, under $15 a year, you can have, um, you can set up um, basically an account that is ready and able to go and will work with the police department and get out to social media in case you have that need. And I know for myself, I can say it just allows me to sleep a little bit better. Um, they have it not only for uh, people caring for somebody, but for pets, for children, uh, for college students, uh, for travelers abroad. And it's it's really just kind of a fascinating um, uh, technology that's really at our fingertips. The other one I want to mention is, because uh, I get questions about the memory cafes all the time, if you go to Alzheimer's Speaks and go to our Projects and Initiatives page, and then just scroll down to the Memory and Alzheimer's Cafes. You'll be able to read a little bit more about that. There's some tools that will help you. Um, but most importantly, there is a resource directory that is provided by Calendar Cards. And um, I have found it to be the most thorough um, and easy-to-use directory. Um, so I, I would recommend clicking on that one versus going to my resource directory, even on Alzheimer's Speaks. So, again... Um, our goal is to make life easier for you. 
So with that, let me introduce our guest today. Very excited to have him. I met this man a couple of years ago and have been trying to get him on the show since then, but he's a little busy. Um, And so I'm just thrilled to have him in the studio with us today. His name is Joel Tyson, and he is a RN, and he's the founder and CEO of LifeSpark. And he has been um, building a, a proven whole person model for senior care for more than 12 years, and it's changing how the aging um, experience is felt and dealt with. Um, Joel is a business innovator, and he's earned numerous accolades um, from the Ernest & Young Entrepreneur um, of the Year. He was also the finalist for the Upper Midwest in 2011 and a finalist for the Minnesota Leaders in Healthcare Award in 2015. Under his guidance, LifeSpark has been one of the fastest-growing companies in the Twin Cities since its founding and has won a a ton of awards for its culture, including um, repeated Star Tribune top uh, 150 workplaces in the Minneapolis-St. Paul Business Journal of, you know, best places to work. So, um, like I said, just thrilled to have you with us, Joel. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, Lori. Well, first of all, I want you to, um, this is a question I always throw out to everybody, um, because our listeners always kind of like this as a base. Have you been personally touched by dementia in your own family or circle of friends? I sure have, and actually not only touched, but touched lots of times. (laughs) (laughs) So um, actually right now, uh, my mother-in-law has has Alzheimer's, and and, um, she was early onset at 66, so very early in her life. Uh, she was very well, actually. And so my wife and I, my wife's also a nurse, um, have uh, have been on that journey with her and her husband, uh, as well as all of our family, for quite some time now. Now it's going on 12 years. Um, she's on hospice. Um, and so it's uh, it's been a, a very good experience for me to not only be a professional in the field and being touched by it every day, but also very, very personally. And um, and uh, I'm grateful for that. Yeah, it's um, it's an amazing experience. My mom also started out very young in her mid fifties, and um, just totally life changing. And it really makes you look. I guess you can look at the disease two ways. You can look at it as a gift and and how to engage better, or you can look at it as a disaster and take a hike and say I'm I'm out of here. That's right. That's and, right. And I'm sure in your business you see families do both. Absolutely. I mean, we have about 700 clients right now, and probably mm-hmm. I would say a quarter of them are, are afflicted with, with some sort of cognitive impairment. And so um, you do see all sorts of different um, experiences and different uh, um, uh, ways that people deal with that, as you can imagine, and I'm sure you know that. Um, so our, our job is really to, is, is to do a lot of the things that you talk about and that you write about and you speak about, which is to help you an advocate to provide guidance and resources and knowledge to take away some of that fear and give people the, sometimes a different language, if you will, almost to, to work with, with the loved ones that, uh, mean so much to them. Very, very much so. Now, you have more than 20 years of experience in the senior care industry as a whole. Can you share with us why you developed LifeSpark and, and what the heck does it do? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll answer the latter first. It's Spark Lives. <laughs> but but uh, um, for me, you know, why I got into this, this, uh, this space, if you will, is that, you know, being a nurse, I worked at the Mayo Clinic for a couple of years in cardiovascular transplant intensive care. And found that working in a very medical-minded um, symptomology sort of approach wasn't really my calling. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, I, f- I learned that early. And then I spent about seven or eight years working in the home health industry nationally all over the country. So I had a chance to really see people in their homes, in different environments, mostly in the homes. Um, and what what really started to resonate with me as I had some experience and, and gained knowledge in, this, in, the, in the industry was the fact that it's so broken. Um, it just does not... Um, really serve people. And so I started to get this inner swell go on that said, this is really broken and we got to do something different. Mm-hmm. And the, one of the main parts in that difference was we're so much about the medicalization of healthcare. It's so much about treating symptoms and fixing things. And what I was really not okay with was we weren't really looking at a lot of the psychosocial aspects of someone's life. And even though in home health and in different service models that we have in healthcare, 
which by the way, I kind of call sick care because it's mostly sick care and not really health care. Is that we we just, you know, we want to just make that quick fix and we send people back into maybe an an unsupportive environment or or not a fully supportive environment and they fail again and then they fail again. And by the time they fail three or four times, it's really hard to pick them back up and, and get them back on a good path of wellness. Yep. And so so for me, the reason why is it was very broken. It's still very broken, and I'm not okay with it, and my team's not okay with it, and we want to really serve people long-term on their, on their um, goals and wishes, not on a medicalization kind of model. Yep, and that's a, that's a huge flip. Um, and I, to me, that's one of the things that I guess got me to switch careers too was, uh, you know, there's got to be another way. There's got to be, I I get that we need a cure. I get that we need to raise funds. I get that we have to, you know, gather Congress, you know, get them pushed behind this. But what about the people right now? That's right. What do we do? You know, how do we do that? And there's been just such amazing things that have, have, um, that are occurring all around the world. And, you know, these, these social engagement pieces that you're talking about, people are willingly sharing them, you know, all over. Mm-hmm. And the, the cost of the dollar versus prescriptions is so much less. I, I just kind of ram my head into the wall and go, what's the problem here? How, why aren't people seeing this? Do you, do you have those moments too? Yeah, one of my favorite mentors, you probably know him, Richard Leiter. Mm-hmm. He always says, you know, common sense isn't that common. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's very, it seems so easy, but it's not, right? Yep. And so, um, yeah, we see that. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty sad. I, I, you know, we have um, a lot of broken parts, including a payment system that, you know, re- rewards really acute reactive care. And so there's not a real uh, focus on preventive long-term wellness. Mm-hmm. And so that's a big part of it. And that's why, you know, at LifeSpark, you asked me what we do is every single s- person that we work with, we have uh, what we call a life care manager, not a care manager, a life care manager mm-hmm. that focuses on that whole person, you know, that looks, yes, we always have to, like you mentioned, you have to look at the medical, it's part of it. Yep. You know, there's a, you can't just walk away from it. It's really important. But then we also look at, you know, identity, finance, social supports, purpose, passion. And when you start changing that viewpoint that you mentioned, um, really great things happen. Mm-hmm. Can you give us um, maybe a story of one of the great things that just, I'm sure you're filled with like a zillion of them. And I'll have you probably kind of drop and dribble those out through our conversation because I I think those are the things that people remember. Not that they're not listening to us out there right now, but but do you have a, a story that just comes to mind? Yeah, you know, one that always comes to mind for me is, um, is a person that I actually got to care for early in my um, early in the LifeSpark experience. Her name's Ruth, and uh, and 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 uh, Ruth basically had a situation where she was really angry, and mm-hmm. she had some dementia, and she had some other diseases as well. And nobody wanted to work with her. Nobody wanted to be with her. She had estranged her family. She had estranged everyone. Mm-hmm. And the health system also didn't know what to do with her because she was in a transitional care unit, and they basically said, "Hey, look, if." You know, I know you want to go home. You're not safe, but you know we'll call LifeSpark, and if they can do it, you know if, if they can't do it, no one can do it. So mm-hmm. we got a call from the niece, who was the kind of the power of attorney, and and we got um, I'm sorry, Joyce. Uh, it's been a while. So Joyce home, and Joyce um, wanted us out of there. You know, she had the caregiving part, and she's like, get out of here, and was yelling all the time and very angry. Mm-hmm. And over time, we had to just develop that rapport and trust with her. In doing that. You know, we basically were able to start to have a conversation, and I was able to have a conversation with her. And, you know, she was a smoker and a drinker, and, you know, she had some other not-so-healthy behaviors. Mm -hmm. But what I broke through with was she had an ice cream store across the... Across the uh, across the road from her house, and she loved Sundays. So I started bringing her Sundays. <laughs> that was a way to her heart. So as I brought her Sundays, we started having dialogue and conversations. And I learned, you know, when I first looked at Joyce, I saw her as a very frail, very kind of a hermit sort of a person. Mm-hmm. What I learned, though, as I was able to discover what's important to her and who she really was, was she was a lady of the fine arts, and she had been on kind of the the scene downtown oh, uh, wow. for many years. Yeah. And I learned that that was really her passion and her purpose in life. And she had actually a master's degree um, in fine arts. And I, I, run, I ran with that in the sense I've said, hey, Joyce, you know, um, 
I know it's getting towards the later part of your life here, and she was on hospice actually at that point. And I said, what would what would it what would be important to you? What would be sort of some of those things that would be most meaningful? And she shared with me that it was all about you know if she could get downtown for one last performance, mm. that would be the deal, right? Yep. And given that she was on oxygen, on hospice, you know, very debilitated, she weighed about eighty pounds. She usually didn't uh, get dressed for the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was a big challenge. But I said, you know what? That's all I needed. And so I was able to call the State Theater. They gave us free tickets for the Nutcracker uh, a few oh, years wow. back. And I asked Joyce if she would go, and she said, okay, I'll try. So mm-hmm. the day of the Nutcracker, I called her, and I said, I'm coming over to pick you up, Joyce. And she said, uh, oh, no, I'm having a breathing issue. I can't do it. And mm-hmm. I was breaking my heart. But I went over anyway, and I was able to um, – sit with her and listen. And uh, I looked in her eyes and she looked in mine and I said, Joyce, just let's give this a try. And she mm-hmm. was open. And so I picked her up like a baby and I took her down into my Jeep and away we went down to the State Theater for, for the show. And what was amazing was once we got down there, um, she, um, we got her in the wheelchair and she, we were wheeling up to the State Theater with all the lights and all of a sudden she came alive. I mean, mm-hmm. here's a woman with bad arthritis and all sorts of physical problems. And all of a sudden she was gleam, gleaming. I mean, mm-hmm. her eyes were alive. Her face was alive. And basically we got her in there. We went by the, went by the, uh, um, the, uh, beverage station. And she, I said, would you like something to drink? Thinking she'd like some water. And she said, I'll have a, um, a vodka, a vodka. <laughs> and I, against my better nursing judgment, I, I agreed. We got in there, and, and it was amazing for me to sit there and watch her with her regal nature of her uh, participating and, and really enjoying this performance, which was fantastic. We got done. Um, I was feeling great. We were on our way back to her home, and she said, okay, so now are we going to go down to Nye's? <laughs> so, so I laughed, and we laughed, and I said, well, not tonight, Joyce, but we got her back. And uh, and when I got her back into her apartment, um, I was feeling pretty proud of myself. You know, I thought this was really a really special time for her and for me. And I got down on one knee, and I, I was just kind of getting her back into bed. And I said, Joyce, you know, how was it? How was it for you? What do you think? And mm-hmm. she looked at me with her kind of tough old grizzly nature, and she said, you know, Joel, I've seen a lot better performances. <laughs> <laughs> so she kind of, but then she gave me a little squirrely kind of smile, and she looked at me, and she gave me that twinkle and that spark, and she said, you know what, though? I've never had a better night, mm-hmm. and that broke my heart. And so somebody like Joyce just going through that experience of seeing her become alive and seeing her in her best possible state of, of, of being was, was something that I'll never forget. So that was one story that's very powerful for me personally. What a gift. Yeah. What a gift. Um, you know, and I think sometimes people don't understand the power of those little nuggets. Those, what we get when we give, mm-hmm. you know, when we try. I mean, it, it's just, it, you can't even put them into words. You just, or I can't. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about um, why, why LifeSpark is called LifeSpark, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and what what your whole person senior um, care model you know looks like as a whole. Okay, well the reason for Life Spark is really simple. It's about sparking lives. And when mm-hmm. I when we were thinking about the name and renaming the company, our first name was Age Well, right? And when we first started the company, and what we realized is nobody wanted to age anything mm-hmm. in our society. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so even though you we were aging well, people didn't really like that. So we wanted to be more affirming about what we really were about. Is Finding what puts that spirit back in your in your personhood, right? Mm-hmm. What puts that little that little twinkle in your eye, and that's why we why we went with Life Spark is because it is about um, the real uh, internal goodness that we're trying to bring out in someone. Mm-hmm. And so, what Life Spark um, it really really does is 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 was discover what's important to people at a basic sense, mm-hmm. and then through that we build plans that are fulfilled through using the community and using resources in the local market and creating outcomes and creating measures that we can all be accountable to to make sure that we're making progress. And then over time, as we get some of the medical issues out of the way or maybe some of the financial issues, the most uh, rewarding and the most powerful thing that we can do is allow people to have that life experience that they feel in control and empowered and that they're really living at their their, their best their best point. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's been and has been and always will be the reason for Life Spark and, uh, and why we call it Life Spark. Wow. Well, that is, that is uh, I mean, it makes sense with the whole name um, piece. Now, you have kind of seven essential elements that you mm-hmm. talk about. Can you, can you 
share that with our audience? Sure. In most um, care delivery models or in healthcare, a lot of people, you know, what they'll do is they'll do health real well. You know, they'll do the fixed stuff. Um, and so that's one element. But what we do is we look at all the rest, and I mentioned them a little bit already. We look at their environment. You know, we, we don't want to be judged. We don't, we don't want to be the judger of anything. You know, we, we meet people where they're at. So they might live in assisted living. They might live in memory care. They might live in uh, independent living. They may live at home. They might live in a co-op. It doesn't matter to us. So we want to know and we want to share the information and opportunities that people have around environment. Then we look at, you know, their financial situation. We want to know what resources they have available to them. So over the long term, they can make the best plan possible. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people don't have much money or sometimes no money. And so not only do we look at the financial kind of assets of someone, but also the social supports. Um, we have a lot of people that maybe are really great people and they've been doing, you know, like you said, they give. They give a lot. And so mm-hmm. they maybe were a teacher, let's say, and they've given to a lot of people. And what we try to do is tap that that resource of social supports, right? Who can we get around them to play in their world and help them fulfill some of the things that are important to them? Mm-hmm. So the social supports is important. And then the, we also look at their cognition, you know, where they are uh, in that so we can get a baseline and, and manage that and measure that over time. And then the fun ones, the ones that get us really excited, uh, which we've mentioned already, <laughs> are, the, are the identity, you know, who somebody is mm-hmm. and who they still want to be. So we look at their religious uh, kind of views or political views, and we want to know that because that's – until we know them, we don't know anything, right? Mm-hmm. And then the final is uh, around uh, purpose. You know, what gets them up in the morning? What, 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 what are they thinking about when they go to bed at night? And by looking at that purpose, um, that's where we think the most – opportunities are with our seniors and uh, and the most joy it brings, not only to them, but to all of us around them that are able to really serve them. Now, it's interesting because, you know, with those things that you mentioned, um, do you think that that has kind of a ripple effect on your staff? I mean, because those are things that we all should be focusing on, I think. <laughs> yeah, again, again, common sense isn't that common, right? Um, <laughs> I think that uh, absolutely, and and that's why you know LifeSpark has been you know top you know top employer, top one hundred and fifty employer. We've grown you know thirty percent you know a year over the last few years, every year, and and that's because people want to do this work because mm-hmm. when they do this work, it's it is that ripple effect. They feel that joy in their hearts. I mean, most people that go into any sort of health services or social supportive services work want to they want to give and they want to see things from the client's perspective, but because of the way the system's sort of architected and some of the payment methodologies and other struggles that we have, they've been shut out of really their Mm -hmm. own purpose and passion. So we've been able to open them back up and they come because now they can do the work that they really always wanted to do. And we Mm -hmm. hear that all the time with the people that work at LifeSpark. Wow. Now, do you find with your methodology that your, your turnover is less than because employees are more engaged and Kind of at that that heart and soul level, it's not just a paycheck. Absolutely, absolutely, and we have that in numbers. I mean, we have national standards, and and uh, we look at that very cor- carefully. We actually have a workforce team that's working on uh, on those metrics and and demonstrating that that those outcomes. Uh, I'll give you one example. You know, what we look at with our employees is somewhat similar to what we do with our clients. We have life plans for our clients, right? That yep. focus on those seven areas. We've also are deploying employee life plans. So what that means is an employer, yeah, we want to have the metrics that they need to drive in their role, like all companies and, you know, their mm-hmm. key performance indicators and all that. But also what we're asking our employees is, look, what can this company do for you around your life mm-hmm. that's important? So maybe it's they want to run a marathon. Maybe they want to work, at, do some nonprofit work. Whatever that is, we need to understand that as an employer. And when we do, that just engages the relationship in a whole different way, as you can imagine. Again, not rocket science, but we do that. And I think that's been some of the um, art along with the science that's that's allowed us to be as successful as we have been so far. Well, that's uh, that's neat. I, you know, I, I look back and thinking of, of health care and, and, you know, people, I think, go into that space because they want to feel good. They want to feel purposeful. They want to feel like they did the right thing. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so many companies that I see, and, and tell me if you see this, don't allow that because they, they're too worried of fail, about failure. Or, or what are people going to think if we do something out of the box? Um, you know, what are our liabilities, which I, which I understand to a certain point, but um, life is all risk. 
Yeah, you're exactly right. And I think that um, what you're saying is exactly right on. It, it's, it's a couple things, right? Either the industry is is pushing, you know, productivity standards and, and, uh, and, and really looking so hardcore at the business analytics that they miss the art and the beauty and what they're trying to do in the first place around really serving people mm-hmm. at a core level, right? And, um, and then the other is, uh, you know, the other side of it is, again, we've mentioned this, but the, um, I, I think that the, the way that we um, uh, pay for services, you know, what we reward in our system now, it, you know, if you get sick, or you end up in the hospital, then there's a payment. You either have insurance or Medicare or Medicaid or something pays for yep. it, right? And so there's a payment, so that's that's how it works. But if you're if you're kind of on the fringe and you're out in your social environment, and you're doing okay, but you want you need some a little bit more support or a little mm-hmm. bit more guidance. There's not there's no payment for that. So we let people kind of fall down into these worst place situations that are extremely expensive, both financially and also emotionally, and from a from an ability for people to even focus on purpose. And I think that's uh, some of the shift that needs to happen in our, in our, in our, uh, you know, in our sick care systems. Well, and I think that point of um, the emotional value and the, the mental health, we, we don't value that. Mm-hmm. It's not in the equation. And right. yet, it, you know, if someone isn't emotionally healthy, you know, and they're depressed or they're stressed. We all know. I mean, everybody knows that causes stress, which causes illness. And so, we're put. We keep putting this cycle out there instead of stopping it. It's it's like we are a, a sick, a sick cycle instead of a wellness cycle. That's right. Yep. Ex- exactly what I was um, trying to articulate. And and the, the thing about it is, you know, why is that? So I've asked that question a million times of myself. Why is that? And and the thing is, if you want to really boil it down to some basics, is that you know working with people's behavior and emotion and psychosocial—that's hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if there's so many variables, there's so many. It's more long term. You can't just fix it, right? And mm-hmm. so, our culture is so driven. It's with speed around fixing things, and that's what's rewarded. That that we don't want to really get into the messy kind of long term hard stuff. Um, and that's where I think. Uh, Again, I agree with you. That's where all the opportunity is, and, and we continue to just uh, reward this this broken cycle. But I also I th- also think um, it's my personal belief that as a society, um, as a nation, actually as a globe, we don't want to feel. So, you know, if if I have to feel where you're at, then that means I got to look in the mirror. At what are my feelings about my life and my situation and and oh my gosh, that means I would have to do something, you know, and people don't like change. And so it's uh, because there's so much shame wrapped in feelings, mm-hmm. you know, when emotions really aren't good or bad, they just are. We got to, we got to process them. We got to acknowledge them or they're never going to go away. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't fix what, what's, what you don't know is broken. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, you know, I see, especially with dementia and with elder care, um, just this massive blanket of of shame, and you know I'm starting to see it pull back, and some eyes peeking through, and some mouths speaking out. But we just need so much more of it. I mean, mm-hmm. we're all getting older, you know. Mm-hmm. No one's found the magic bullet for that, and we probably aren't going to see it in our lifetime. And and uh, and yet, why are we surprised that, that we are aging? You know, that our bodies are changing. That our minds are changing, that disease has taken place, that relationships are changing. Why Why don't we accept that? Yeah, that's a, obviously one of those million-dollar questions, right? And I, I guess what I'd add to what you're saying, Lori, is that, you know, I think that, um, again, I'll just use a quote, you know, Richard Leiter is a great mentor and friend of mine, and, and he always talks about uh, uh, this concept of the, 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 the living dead. Mm-hmm. And, and what that really means is that we're going through the motions at such fast pace that we forget to step back and, and, and do what you're kind of saying is, is ask the whys of getting into more of the depth of our, of our humanity, of who we are and what we believe and why we act the way we act. And, and I think, um, I think, uh, that's, I start to, I'm starting to see some things that shift and, and, and especially with dementia and, and uh, and aging in totality, right? There's a big ageism. You know, we like to use isms. Yep. And uh, isms is, you know, ageism is a big one because we we reward youth. We reward. Uh, we don't reward uh, senior, or old, or wise, especially if somebody has a little a little uh, bit of uh, cognitive impairment. Then immediately, it's it's deva- they're devalued mm-hmm. uh, and thrown kind of to the side. 
And that's a really, really sad situation. When you see it go well, when you see that embraced and brought back in, and in some cultures, as you know, you know, in Africa and some other cultures, they're the ones that are revered and, and aging is revered and it's, it's respected. Um, and our society just uh, has not caught that wave yet. No, and it's it's really sad. I used to go into the schools and do a lot of age sensitivity stuff in junior high and high mm-hmm. school, and it was so much fun. You know, I'd, I'd get them for two hours, <clears throat> and they'd get two or two to four classes together, and we would we would play different age games. And um, you know, I would have them describe what a, what does an older person look like. You know, and I'd be on the whiteboard, and it'd be a whole wall, and we'd just list this whole thing. And, you know, what do they look like? What do they smell like? What do they wear? Where mm. do they go? What do they do? Um, you know, how do they feel? I'll, I mean, everything was, was in there. And so then I'd have them look at it and say, now, do you think this is accurate? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They all wear white tennis shoes, and they all go to bingo, and they all go to golf, and they all, you know, bake cookies, and, you know, they have, they have that grandma smell, and they, you know, I mean, they just kind of went on and on and on. And so I said, okay, now we're going to make a list of what do you think they think about you? Oh, you know, we're too loud and our hair's too long and we drive too fast and we swear too much and they don't like our music. And and so then I asked them, so do you think that that's an accurate depiction of who you are? And they all, of course, said no. And I said, then what makes you think your perception of them is accurate? You know, and, cool. and we, we get into this big conversation, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and then play some other games and and in it was it's interesting because all of this is full circle at all ages mm-hmm. and it's getting people to realize i think the power of one um and i speak about that a lot and i'm sure you do as well how how one person can have such a big impact on so many people if they know it or not mm-hmm. you know it, you cannot not impact others around you i mm-hmm. mean it's absolutely impossible and yet you hear so many people go, it's none of your business. I'm handling that. You know, stay out of my way. And it's like, but this makes me feel. But people don't want to be in touch with that. And it sounds to me like what LifeSpark is, is um, at its core, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is, is you're just this emotional generator that says we can have higher highs and we can have you know, better hopes and we can, we can dream bigger. And, you know, if it's not perfect, that's okay. But, but let's try together. Absolutely. I mean, I think the, the big thing you make me, you're making me think of a lot of things here. One thing I would say is that, you know, you talked about mortality, right? Mm -hmm. And and we're all mortal, right? That's, we have to accept that. And and we don't think that we're going to be able to fix all of these chronic conditions that folks have. Obviously we're living a lot longer and all these macro trends that are going on with comorbidities and chronic conditions, et cetera. At LifeSpark, we understand that that's just part of the game. That's part of life, right? Mm -hmm. But what we don't agree with is that your life experience has to go at the same trajectory as that frailty or that morbidity. And so to your point, we we can still have issues and we can still improve our life experience and still be joyful and still be happy and still be funny and still be curious and still be, you know, uh, uh, silly. Mm-hmm. Right, and I think that's that's the 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 mind bend that um, people a lot of times people put everything in one basket, mm-hmm. and 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 we don't. Um, so what we usually see, and you know, you you're familiar with like Tuesdays with Maury and all those types yep. of opportunities, and you know, we all get old. It's just what are we going to make of it, and and how do we perceive it? And we just have we've just denied the fact that you know we've denied the 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 societal facts that when you get old, you're you know, you, you might as well be dead kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and honestly, the other thing that you made me think of when you were, it was kind of the eye of the storm, uh, study that you mm-hmm. were doing, uh, with, with, uh, with, with your children, which is great. I love that. Um, how I see it is what I, what I've learned and I continue to tr- try to grow myself every day. But when I see the eyes of a, of an older person that, has really got it, right? I mean, the, the, the one that you want to be around, you know, your grandma and grandpas and things, you know, not that they're always the nicest and best, but the ones that get it that you want to be around that mm-hmm. love you unconditionally, when you see their eyes, they're just sparkling, right? And and then you take a child, you know, you take little kids, little kids, and what are what do their eyes look like? They're, the, they're sparkling, right? So for me, I see those eyes the same. I think when we start getting into 
We lose our curiosity and we stop asking why as a small child and we get into Or we're told we can't. <laughs> yeah, <that>. It's <laughs> probably yeah. more like it. That's true. <laughs> and then we kind of go into this sort of, we get into the rat race of just normal behavior. And this is where you go to school and you get a job and you get a house and you get a car and you do all these things and you're kind of judging yourself based on these societal norms. But then when you get older, you start asking your questions again, right? You're saying, yeah. why? What is my purpose? Why, why do I matter? What's important to me? And the people that figure it out, they bring that spark back. That, mm-hmm. that whole sense of self and awareness is really important. And their curiosity comes back. And then, obviously, all those whys are based on just what are you doing? You're trying to learn, right? Mm-hmm. A why question is, how do I learn? And so I love older you know, people that are, get it are the ones that are learning and are open. And, and to me, I see the eyes of, of, of children just like I do older people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I believe children are here to teach us lessons. I've mm-hmm. got this book inside of me and got it almost done. I just got to come up with the money to do it, but it's um, it really is a story about who who are we going to choose to be in the next moment, and it's about interaction um, with kids. It's a it's kind of a kids people go is it kids book and an adult book, and I'm like adults will buy it for kids thinking that they're going to teach them, but it will be the children teaching the adults because their answers are going to be so different Mm -hmm. and and they're just so innocent and so simple and you know as adults i I think that's one of the most frustrating things for me with dementia and caregiving and and life in in general is it you know it doesn't have to be this complicated Mm -hmm. you know simplicity really is better on so many modes it's more accessible it's more um, relatable. It's it's easier to to actually accomplish mm-hmm. and assess, and um, and so I'm I'm really excited about doing that. It'll have it, my concept will be kids will even be able to draw pictures and send them in, you know, with their stuff, so it can be more interactive and and um, it's just kind of a, a fun little thing that came to me in a dream and. Um, you know, it's called Betty the Bald Chicken. <laughs> That's a good provocative name. Well, and it, you know, and I found rubber chickens and and Mardi Gras beads with bald chickens on them. You know that I use when I go to speak and stuff. And um, everyone wants this book, you know. And it's just, you know, there's so many pieces that you do, but it's just a, a powerful little story that gets people thinking. Mm-hmm. And I think that's. You know what what you're out there doing too is you're getting people to think differently to to look at life differently of what can be what can be accomplished mm-hmm. for somebody. Um, let me ask you another question here. If you can share some of your recent research um, regarding the impact of having purpose in our lives, I see it all the time with the people with dementia that I work with um, that have become advocates, Mm -hmm. you know, or who actually just even walk into a memory cafe being dragged by their care partner and then can't wait to come back. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just, there's this change and it's almost, uh, what I've seen, it's almost instant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, as far as the data goes, again, there's, I always look at this in two pieces. There's the art of it, which are the stories that you talk Mm -hmm. about. And then there's the science, which is the data and the analytics and the research, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, For LifeSpark, what we're always looking at is quality of life indicators. You know, we're using different tools and different national benchmark uh, uh, um, tools to to measure. So we know we're we're making progress and, and we're affecting those quite, quite a bit. As it relates to the some of the other data that we're looking at around, like for instance, rehospitalization rates of clients and ER ED utilization, which are again those deep dips when mm-hmm. people get into that crisis mode, um, what we found is by using this holistic whole person model over time, over two year period of time, we're able to reduce, uh, for instance, hospitalizations by seventy three percent, ED or emergency department or emergency room visits by about fifty two percent. So that's some of the the information that that we're looking at, and then there's all the intuitive stuff that we've talked about about the stories and the 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 the, the life experience. One one that I would say is 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 really important as far as the data is is somebody like um, we had this gentleman Vern who was a truck driver who just wanted to get back home, and again he was also told that he wasn't going to be able to leave the nursing facility. We got him back home because all he wanted to really do was ride his lawnmower, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so <laughs> that's all he wanted to do was ride the lawnmower. And um, and he needed a lot of help. I mean, he was in a tough shape. And so we had to bring him home, and he had 24-hour care for a, a few weeks. But as soon as he started getting back into his own environment and his own spirit, 
he needed less and less care, and, and we got to decrease that, decrease that, until a point where he didn't need any care at all. And the life care manager, that coach, that, that person that's really the critical component of what LifeSpark does, was able to understand that. And sure enough, he got back out riding his lawnmower. And his brother, who was, was, was actually crying about that experience because he was so happy that he could see his brother in, in the environment that really he wished to be in. And actually, he stayed in, in his home for five additional years when even the physician had told him, you are not going home. Mm-hmm. And so that is how we judge success as well uh, uh, through, through some of those stories. When it relates to dementia, I know that um, um, you know the, you had talked about that when we were um, – and Karen, uh, our person to talk to you about that, uh, setting this up – was you know there's studies out there a lot of them right now looking at purpose and um, Rush Medical Center for instance has done a, a major study on on um, on purpose and cognitive impairment and what they found that they got fifteen thousand people and they uh, all those fifteen thousand agreed to donate the organs after they had passed and through that period of time uh, until their death they they were evaluating their purpose and how they felt about their own purpose and those that had rated themselves high with purpose, were 52% uh, more likely to not experience any dementia or cognitive, mm-hmm. cognitive impairment uh, issues, which is pretty significant. Yeah. And so there's a lot of um, a lot of work that's being done, and there's a lot more data points on that. But the power of of feeling engaged and empowered um, is as important as diet, is as important as exercise. Um, and so we just need to come to grips with that because the data is there. Yeah. And in, in some ways I, I, I almost, um, put that up higher mm-hmm. than the others. And I, I know that the medical, you know, community may totally argue that, um, point, but you know, I, I've just, you know, in my lifetime seen such a variety of people and those with purpose, just seem to have less problems, mm-hmm. you know, or, or even if they have issues, they they don't allow them to take over and stress them out. You know, it's, um, it's kind of amazing. There's a, there's a calmness mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. comes with, I think, just being centered. And, and I know that some people think, you know, oh, that's just woo talk, you know, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, she's going to talk about spiritual stuff and she's, you know, but, uh, you know, for myself, I mean, my friends jo- joke that I'm the calm one, uh-huh. you know, sure. um, but I've, and, and not all the time, you know, but um, it's amazing when you, when you feel purposeful at your core um, and it's, it's hard to, to, to define, I think when that even happens, mm-hmm. you know, because, we, you know, I think naturally we try to do what feels good. You know, and and so it just kind of occurs and reoccurs, and and when you when you are at a, a soul level of purpose, um, it's just some of these things are so little. You know, people go like, "How did you how did you get there?" And 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 really, they're very little, little teeny steps that you've taken um, to give somebody else joy, mm-hmm. and when they're joyful then you get refilled. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, and I just find it sad that we don't truly practice this in schools. We don't talk about this, especially with the level of anxiety and drug use and all the other things that are going on. The kids, I mean, I personally would hate to be a child growing up in the environment we have, you know, where you have to be worried about getting shot in school. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was something, you know, we didn't have to worry mm-hmm. about. Um, and now that's very real. And and you look at all of the the trials and tribulations throughout life. Um, if we could better prepare our youngsters, you know, for what mm-hmm. aging looks like, and for you know, if it's if it's body shape, if it's gender, if it's it doesn't make any difference, but just becoming more accepting as a society, mm-hmm. um, as a whole, and and really living with that true belief that anything is possible. Yeah, and I think it starts to to bring it back full circle to this conversation. It starts with those seniors that are able mm-hmm. to do that with the youth, right? Yep. There has to be, you know, we've what's what's kind of interesting. We've sort of isolated our seniors in our society, right? Yeah, we kind of house them, institutionalize them in different settings, and and we've got them away from the children. <laughs> yep, and it's sad. And 
one of my another mentor of mine is Dr. Peter Whitehouse, who's an expert in mm-hmm. Alzheimer's, and you know he's a neuroscientist at a Cleveland Clinic. But anyway, um, he's actually you know he's taking a new tact on life. He's working with his wife on intergenerational schools mm-hmm. in Cleveland and doing charter schools around intergenerational work. And he also talks about things like non-biologic grandparenting, mm-hmm. right? To bring in those seniors to share with those youngsters, you know, some some wisdom, some insight. And and most importantly, again, why do we love our grandmas and grandmas? Because they love us unconditionally and they're good and they know, you know, they're not about like the fancy car and all these material things. They're about you and they, they get in the present moment with you and mm-hmm. they play and they're, they have fun. And yet they just know that the important things in life are purpose and yeah. are being finding your goodness, finding your good place. And so anyway, I just wanted to add to that a little bit because I'm, I'm, I'm very uh, committed to, to helping our youth by having seniors engagement and helping our seniors with youth engagement. Yeah. I think that that's really powerful. I, I talk of a story about um, most of us have been in a room with a small child and just play mm-hmm. and, and there's no parents, there's nobody judging and you're just in the moment and you might be coloring or Play-Doh or paint or mm-hmm. doing a puzzle. It doesn't make any difference what it is or dress up. And, and then somebody walks in the door frame. They're not even in the room, but in an instant, you know, you're being judged. You know, you've done something you shouldn't have because we bend the rules knowing that they're not as important as we were led to believe. And, and both the child and the adult instantly change. And there's this shaming inside that goes on and you could almost feel the screaming of, Oh, we're going to get it now. (laughs) (laughs) Even though nothing has been said. And yet they shared this precious moment that can never be taken away, Uh you know? And it's just, um, and we don't even know if, because a lot of times we can be that person in the doorway and we don't even realize the aura we're walking in with and mm-hmm. the message that we're giving. Because we haven't said, I didn't say nothing. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Mm-hmm. You know, come on, let's get going. Pick up. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> boop, boop, boop. Yep. And everything, everything is changed. And the, the wisdom of our elders is um, it, it needs to be honored. It needs to be glorified. It needs to be exposed um, in a dignified way. Mm-hmm. Um, same with, uh, you know, people with dementia. That's one of the, the things that I really try to do here is raise their voice, get people to respect it, get them eager to to listen to the wisdom mm-hmm. instead of, um, I always say, instead of knock, you know, um, peering in the window, knock on the door and ask a question. Right, <laughs> you know? right. yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's back to that, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, right? Yep. And so lots of times, you know, it's a role reversal, right? You mm-hmm. think you're the, you know, you're the teacher and really you're the student yeah. <laughs> and you need to be. And if you, if you just can knock down some of these, um, these judgments mm-hmm. and these beliefs, um, that's when the magic happens. And I, I do, I mean, it, it's, 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 uh, this is a perfect time for me today because again, I, I've been thinking a lot about my mother-in-law back mm-hmm. to that situation. And I'll tell you. Um, I, I do get silly with her and she's, you know, she's very advanced in her stages. And when I'm at my best and I know it and and I know she knows it Mm -hmm. and it's a different language that we have. It's a different, it's not just the verbal, it's the, it's the body language, it's the touch. It's the, just the aura around when I'm connected to her in a meaningful way. And I know my love's in the right place Mm -hmm. for her. I feel her so much stronger and better. And, and I have to check that because it's so easy to get into that rote sort of position of, you know, patient or client, or mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And so um, so I like what you're saying, and I think that's really important for us to, to realize that we really have to open ourselves up and be vulnerable um, to, to get, the, to get the, the learning and the love out of um, these great people that are in front of us that sometimes we just want to um, put, a, put, a, put a label on them. Yeah. I, one of the things I say is I think that they are here to teach us to live to be playful again because mm-hmm. we unlearn. How to be playful. I, I so get what you're talking about with your mom because, like, I don't sing. And there's there's a reason, folks, I don't sing in front of people. I mean, I go to church and I mouth it because I, <laughs> you know, I still remember my dad looking back on a road trip going, Dorothy, can you get her to shut up? I mean, it's, it's painful. But my mom would get me singing because she didn't care anymore, you know. And those, those lessons of um, unconditional love that are, and there's levels of it. Mm -hmm. I didn't know there were so many levels 
of unconditional love uh, until I went and, and experienced, you know, my mom's disease with her. And it was amazing. It's, it's, um, it's, it's like a religious experience. I mean, it's like out of body because you just, it's so joyful, so peaceful, and so safe. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty incredible stuff. Well, I can't believe we're flying up on our hour here already. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it, I told you it'd go fast. Yeah. Um, I want you to talk a little bit about, you know, what's, what's down the pike for you and in your company? You know, where do you, where do you see things in, in five years? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and, um, and where we see ourselves is in a place where this has become more recognized as a standard approach to your point. You know, a lot of yep. these things are hocus pocus kind of st- yep. magic, you know, it's too, with the psychosocial stuff's too hard or it's not valuable. And what LifeSparks, what we're doing is we're, we, we understand that they, that, that the art has to be with the science. So we mm-hmm. have a lot of measurables and data that's supporting this work. And what that looks like in five years is that, LifeSpark needs to be a spark, a catalyst for other companies and for other people on the on the model and on the perspective that that these common sense, simple things absolutely are critical to the to the betterment of mm-hmm. of those that we're serving. And you know, we I'm sure we'll be looking at scaling and and taking the country or taking the company into different markets, but only if the model is right and only if we're able to really influence the right people to start to make change. And what I mean by that is, again, back to that payer. I want, you know, as you know, dementia is, is a very tough on, on families and, and folks uh, in many, many ways. And one of them is it's a long ter- many times it's a long-term diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's very costly. And we need to create better ways to, uh, to, to support and to help people that have no idea where to start. And I think that that funding and that ability to to do uh, payment reform is mm-hmm. is a place that I think is really important. And I, what I want to see uh, LifeSpark helping and pioneering into the into the five ten year space. Yeah, I, I think too. It's um, the funding is really important, but I think so much is the mindset and the heart set. Mm-hmm. You know, until we get people to feel the need to change, we can throw statistics at them. We can be fear mongers. We can do all kinds of stuff, but until we feel until they feel kind of that tug on their heart that wow this really needs to change and and I can make a difference you know in my own unique little way you know if we don't start empowering people um it's not going to change it's not going to be sustainable Mm -hmm. and I you know I've seen that just in the last five years it's starting to shift we have a long long ways to go and there's many voices coming out on that um but we need um inspiring people to take it to another level and to really continue to talk about this and be advocates, um, you know, for those, um, for all of us, really, because mm-hmm. because it, it, it is cross-generational. And um, no matter what age, you know, we can, we can impact, you know, one another. Um, in closing, I wanted to um, just talk with you a little bit about... <clears throat> Life Spark, and I, I, I um, saw a film. I have a friend over in Australia, and I cannot remember the company he is with, and I feel horrible. Um, but they took a man who was 86 and went skydiving. I don't know if you ever saw that video. Um, and they kind of had to fight with the family because the family didn't want him to, to go. But, you know, he, he was in the Air Force, and, you know, he was jumper, and he was thrilled to death, you know, and they did a tandem jump. Mm-hmm. Do you ever, does your company ever get involved in bigger things that, that cost funds or, you know, a nonprofit side to offset some of those things? Or, you know, is that incorporated in your model at all? Yeah, it, it surely is. We actually have a thing called LifeSpark Wishes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every, you know, talks about the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Yep. And we always say, hey, it just isn't the kids being able to have fun, right? Yep. We want to have everybody. So we actually are doing these. We actually measure these mm-hmm. on how many. Um, we do, and each of our life care managers, a mm-hmm. person that's the nurse or social worker that works with our clients, so we measure them. And you know what's fun is, you know, there are the big things like the skydiving. We, I can tell you things. We, we got a gentleman that used to be the um, Commodore out at the Wyzetta Yacht Club, and his wife actually was our client because she had dementia. And he was her 
uh, caregiver mm -hmm. for 10 years and, and basically shut off his whole world. Yep. And we got to know him and his wife and we cared for his wife. And we realized he was his Commodore and that he hadn't been sailing forever. And his son was a sailor and his grandson was a sailor as well. And he had never been out on a boat with his grandson. Oh. So we worked with the Wyzetti Yacht Club and others, and they got a boat, a 32-foot boat, and we got him out there, and we were just going to take him around for a little ride. He got in there, and he started sailing that boat himself, I mean, and doing the whole <laughs> thing, and his wife was being careful, and it was fantastic. And so it was a, you know, we had probably 40 or 50 people that were um, people that he had trained on mm -hmm. how to sail at the Wyzetti Yacht Club, and they just they were just on fire. I mean, there was tears, there was laughter, there was emotion. And the, the spark and the energy in that room was unbelievable. And so from skydiving to sailing to mm -hmm. we have had people flying electric planes. We've had people go uh, actually on big trips uh, across the country mm -hmm. that they wanted to do and so on and so on. So we do a lot of that with um, other partners. You know, we think isolation mm -hmm. is fatal. We do it with collaborating partners. Again, it could be, like I said, the State Theater threw some tickets in. We've had the Metrodome. We've had all sorts of crazy uh -huh. stuff. So, so we love that and a lot of it. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad I brought that up because yeah, I just think that that's um, an important piece of of what you have to offer. So to contact you, people can call nine five two three four five zero nine one nine. That's nine five two three four five zero nine one nine. Or you can go to lifespark dot com, and that's life l i f e, and then spark is s p. RK.com. So no A. Um, Lifespark.com. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Joel. It's just been such a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much, Lori, for giving us a chance to, to talk and, and to share some of the some of the early sparks that we're, we're doing at the company. And, and, and I, I look forward to working with you long into the future. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. For those of you that are new to Alive and Social, you might want to check out Rachel Perrin, the culinary director for Kowalski's Market, along with her producer and sidekick, Adam Lee. They always talk about seasonal foods and, and favorite flavors and trending topics. Um, their show is called What's for Dinner Tonight, and their podcasts are only like 10 to 15 minutes long. But they give you great ideas if you're hungry and don't have a lot of time. You can also go to Kowalski's.com uh, to find a full uh, seasonal menu list. Um, and Kowalski's is K-O-W-A-L-S-K-I-S. That's K-O-W-A-L-S-K-I-S.com. Uh, I also want to mention for uh, new listeners uh, <clears throat> and in existing all of our shows are archived, so we have years of shows archived. If you want to go back and listen, we just had somebody talking about um, ho horseplay and the powerful lessons of living and engaging through horse therapy. We also had a local author on um, who talked about the gifts wrapped in Alzheimer's, an attorney who turned travel companion, and then a gal who does uh, caregiver um, cruises as well. So check those out. Um, as far as our dementia chats, the last one we posted, um, we had a great decision about moving and construction and remodeling and the effects that these things have on people living with dementia. I think you'll find their insights um, that they share really openly and honestly, uh, pretty amazing, and help you and your families or your businesses when it comes to construction. I also get asked all the time about upcoming film screenings of His Neighbor Phil, and I will be out at the Gables in Vatness Heights January 26th from 2 to 4, and you're more than welcome to come. I'll be in uh, Shearville, um, Indiana on the 13th, and um, then I'll be out in Illinois on the 14th and 15th, and then back in uh, Woodbury on, on March 6th and May 20th. So please uh, reach out to me if you want some more details on that. Uh, also on the blog, Carol Larkin, who is just a, a great woman um, and has been in the business for quite some time with Third Age Services, um, wrote a great blog called An Inspirational Man. And I think it's, it's uh, really poised. Um, prominently, especially in this time in our country. You know, we need inspiration to pull us together. Last, I just want to do a shout-out again to the Caregiver uh, or the Call Alert Center, and you, you'll be directed from my site right to the Caregiver Alert um, page where you can um, register your loved ones um, or your pets 
um, in case they would wander away. And uh, don't forget about the Memory Cafe directory. Until next time, uh, please keep in mind your memory chip, which is an easy tool you can access that gets us shifting from tasks to really focusing on are they safe, are they happy, are they pain-free. Talk to you soon. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.